Well, good morning, and this is the Midweek Devotional for Wednesday, February 17th. My name is Parker Johnson, and I greet you in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our King who sits enthroned in the heavens, who rules and reigns for His glory and the good of His people. Let's pray. Uh, so, our King, we come before you with bowed knees, uh, confessing with our tongues that you are the Lord and the Christ. Uh, and we bow before you this morning and pray that you would help us as we look at your word, that you would grow us in your grace. Uh, Lord, we pray for spiritual growth at the end of this uh, and through this midweek devotional as we look at your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning I want to look at Psalm chapter 29. Psalm chapter 29. Uh, just an amazing passage. And, and I do encourage you, uh, if you have a, a Bible handy, to read along with me. Uh, there's just a lot going on in here. Uh, we're going to read through it once, and then we'll walk through it after that. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 29. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to introduce this psalm uh, with some thoughts about the transcendence and eminence of God. Uh, do you know these words? A transcendence means uh, that which transcends, right, over and above, outside, apart from uh, us, right? So God is not like us. Uh, we may share in some of his attributes. God is love, uh, so we can have love, right? God is kind, and we can be kind. But when we think of God and his being, of who he is, of, is can we say what he is? I think who is, is better. Uh, he is, he transcends all. We are the creature, and he is the, uh, excuse me, yeah, we are the creature, and he is the creator, um, right, he, he is completely holy, completely other. Uh, he does not have a body. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. Um, that's, that's God's transcendence. Um, his eminence uh, is the fact that he is near to us, right? So he... Um, is with us. When we think of we as his people, uh, he 
has become Emmanuel, right? God with us. I mean, this is this is the great mystery and glory of the gospel that the God of, of all transcendence, the God who reigns and rules over all things, the, the one who is the source uh, and is the creator of all things, that he would enter into his creation amidst the smells and amidst the unrighteousness uh, in, in order to save the unrighteous, the wicked like you and me, so that that we might uh, be saved and be reconciled to him. Right? Both of these things are true. God is both transcendent and he is imminent. Right? The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and so we have God with us. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are united to him. However, let me say this, that there, within any stream of Christianity, there is often an overemphasis on one of these two over against the other, of transcendence or eminence. And we in the American evangelical church focus much more on the eminence, the closeness of God, rather than the transcendence of God. We have really, in many ways, sought to tame God uh, and to make him into our buddy. Um, There's a famous author um, whose name I suddenly cannot remember. Uh, He's out at uh, Westminster West in California, and he says, you know, so often... We think of God as our girlfriend, right? Someone who is there really to serve us. When in reality, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? Um, I think we, through our cultural lenses and the individualism of America, are much more focused on what God can do for me and my own personal experience of God and dwindling our view down to God through the lens of our experience when in reality we are called to bow before him uh, and to give him glory. Right? Do you feel that tension? Right. So if God is small in our minds, that's going to have very a very big impact on our worship. And our worship will really only center around what God can do for us. Now, God does a whole lot for us, and we are told throughout Scripture to thank Him for those things. Uh, So praise be to God. Uh, Those are good things, right? But we can't stop there. And as I was doing my Bible study this morning, my reading plan. I came to Psalm 29. And and Psalm 29, I mean, it's just an amazing psalm when it points us to the complete otherness of God to his glory. So I want to walk through this and let's use this as a way to praise God for his power and his majesty. In verses 1 and 2, we have really a, a call to worship call to worship. Ascribe to the Lord, and and Lord, L-O-R-D, is in all caps, and it is throughout this entire psalm, as as far as I can tell, uh, just quick glance. 
Uh, and, and remember, L-O-R-D, all caps, is referring to God's holy name, his covenant name of Yahweh, as his most personal name. So ascribe to Yahweh, O heavenly beings, right? Heavenly beings might be angels, uh, the angelic host. Ascribe to the Lord, Yahweh, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, Yahweh, the glory do his name. Worship the Lord, Yahweh, in the splendor of holiness. Um, you know, to ascribe is to identify somebody with, to um, tell of, to proclaim um, these qualities that they belong to the Lord and, and uniquely to the Lord. As we look at these um, these words here of glory and strength and splendor and holiness, we are called to worship God, to bow down. Um, you know, it, these things, his glory and his strength and his splendor and his holiness, these things uh, do have a relationship in terms of our salvation. But notice the psalmist here, David, does not call us or the heavenly beings to praise God for how these things are, are uh, in, in relationship to us, right? He calls us to worship God because these things are true of him. In verses 3 through 9, we see this six-fold use of the phrase, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. In 3 through 9, we, we have the comparison, this word imagery, this word picture of the voice of the Lord like a great thunderstorm coming out of the west, uh, out of over from over the Mediterranean. How do we know that's true? Well, because there's a geographic relationship to these places that are mentioned. Notice in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, right, over many waters, then you get down to Lebanon, which is on the west part of Israel. Then Syrian, which is Mount Hermon. And then down at the bottom, Kadesh, which is the south of, uh, of Palestine. So the image here, and, and this, by the way, is straight from the ESV Study Bible. Uh, the imagery is of a great thunderstorm from coming over the Mediterranean in great power and going over Israel and, and going over all of her enemies uh, and through this, the glory of God is shown through a mighty thunderstorm. Uh, you know, many of you went through Hurricane uh, Ivan. Uh, I went through Hurricane Sally, which was, what, a Category 1 by the time it got to us. And that was, that was hard enough. That was bad enough. Think about the most powerful thunderstorm you can see. You know, thunderstorms are one of those things that we have no control over. And it just, it is all-inducing, but also fear-inducing, right? And so here we have the voice of the Lord compared to the thunder that comes from a thunderstorm, of a great storm. So the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, excuse me, the God of glory thunders. The Lord Yahweh over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, right? The voice of the Lord is full of majesty, you know, the only way that we can begin to glimpse uh, God's glory and his majesty is for God to put it in terms that we can understand. Uh, so there's another word I'm going to introduce you to. It's called condescendence, right? 
when we think about the transcendence of God, that that part of or those qualities of God, um, the characteristics of God that transcend our understanding of our experience of who we are, uh, in order for God to communicate those things to us, he, he has to use language of condescendence. That means coming down to, to explain things in terms we can understand. Um, you know, when you think about talking to grandchildren or to your children, you can't explain things in the same way that you would explain them to an adult, right? Because they don't have the same uh, frame of reference or the same language, same vocabulary, same experience, same learning. A book I once read said, you know, the difference between God and us is greater than the difference between us and an ant. Think about that. So if you're walking down the road and you look down and there's an ant, uh, you know, on the ground with all its legs and oblivious to us, we are so much greater than that ant. I mean, it, it, I mean, how do you even compare us? I mean, we're both alive, and that's about it. That's about all you can say of the things that, uh, that, that we share in quality with an ant. And yet the difference between us and God, right, God is creator, we are created, is greater than that distance by, by orders of magnitude. Right, and so in order for God to explain things to us in his word and in ways that we can understand, in order to, for us to grasp anything about him, he has put it in language that we can understand. And so we can understand a little bit of the fear and majesty that comes through a thunderstorm. The voice of the Lord is powerful. Think about the power of a thunderstorm and how the lightning can just uh, zap things out of existence. Right? Have you ever seen a tree in the woods that has been struck by lightning? or where the lightning strikes one tree and bounces to the other, there's just great devastation there, right? It's, there's no controlling that. There's no controlling the Lord either. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Cedars of Lebanon were famous, right? Uh, they were strong and mighty, and yet God can destroy those things. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox you think about a young wild ox or a calf you know these animals that are scared and skittish and have no power and compare their majesty compare their their strength to that of a thunderstorm it, it just there's no i mean it doesn't really even make sense to compare those things because they're they're so different the voice of the lord flashes forth like flames of fire to the voice of the lord flashes forth flames of fire, you know, thinking of the imagery of the fire of, of uh, lightning. Throughout the Old Testament, um, lightning is compared with fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Uh, a few weeks ago, last week, I think, when we had some storms roll through, uh, a great bolt of lightning struck somewhere near here, and the thunder was just unbelievable. It woke us up, uh, and that's a pretty big deal because we have two fans going in our room, and so it's it, on high, by the way, so there's a, a long, a pretty loud thing that, you know, loud sound that anything would have to overcome, and, and it even woke Thomas up, and Thomas is a sound sleeper, and he came running in here. You know, you could feel the, the whole house shake. The voice of the Lord shakes the, the entire wilderness, right? not just a local area. 
Verse 5, the, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Now, that's kind of an odd thing to say. Now, if you have your Bible open, and if it's an ESV, you'll notice there's a number, a little, a little number four besides give birth. And if you go down to your notes at the bottom, revocalization yields the makes the oaks to shake. Uh, Hebrew is a bit uh, unique in that how its vowels work. And so it's really only a con it only really has truly consonants and then vowels are, in are interspersed. And if you change the vowels, it can mean something else. And so it's the ESV translators here uh, cluing us into that it's likely that the vowels here ought to be rearranged so that it says makes the oaks a shake. And that, that certainly would fit the context better. And it strips the forest ba uh, bare. Um, you know, as we think about the voice of the Lord, we've got to think biblically, uh, and thematically without, within the Bible. Where, where else do we see the voice of the Lord and its, and its power? Well, we see it's, his, the power of his voice over in Genesis chapter 1. How does he create the world, right? He speaks and, and it exists. We see in Hebrews chapter 1, by the word of his power, uh, God is sustaining the, the whole cosmos, the whole universe, just by the word of his power. As we think about the word of the voice of God, as we think about the ministry of Jesus, right? where do we see that? We see God's voice very clearly at his baptism. Right? This is my beloved son. We see it at the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, where we see... Um, God say, hey, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. So we th think of, about in the Old Testament uh, as well at Mount Sinai, right? Do you remember the response of God's people to hearing the voice of the Lord? They, they really wanted nothing to do with it. Let me find it. It's in Exodus chapter 20. It was so powerful. It was so other. It was so terrifying that uh, when they were around Mount Sinai and God spoke all these words saying, and then you get the Ten Commandments. Um, let's see. Uh, here it is. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain shaking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Wow, and they, they wanted nothing to do with it. They were terrified. Verse 9 ends with the response of God's people gathered in the temple courts. And we have this call to worship in verses 1 and 2. Right, to ascribe to the Lord, uh, the glory to his name. We have the description, the comparison of God and his voice to a great thunderstorm in verses 3 through 9. And verse 9 ends with the response of God's people. And in his temple, all cry glory. I mean, it's just this, this sense of all comes over God's people as they have experienced the power of the voice of the Lord in their midst. Um, well, verses 10 through 11, we have this conclusion. And we see that this powerful Lord, the one who has glory and is strong, 
the splendor of holiness, uh, he is king. Right? He is king. Who is king? Who is this king of glory? It is the Lord God. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The ESV Study Bible says that the only other place where this particular Hebrew word is used is for the flood of Noah. So the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, which was this great instrument of judgment against God's, uh, against God's enemies and provision of salvation for God's friends, right? For Noah and his family. It was both an instrument of deliverance and of judgment. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So in verse 10, we have this declaration that the Lord is king, right? And he sits enthroned as king forever. He will never be taken off his throne. There are no enemies that could uh, take him down, right? But verse 11, you have this you have this slight shift from the transcendence of God, remember that's completely other apart from us, to the eminence of God, that is his closeness to us, as we have this application of the transcendent character of God on behalf of God's people, on behalf of you and me. May the Lord give strength to his people. To say, I mean, what kind of strength? It's the strength that we have just seen in verses 3 through 9, may the Lord give his power and his strength to whom? To his people, to those who have called upon his name. May the Lord Yahweh bless his people with peace. Who could possibly bring us peace? Well, it's got to be one who is strong and mighty and who is a, a powerful king. And we have seen his great power in these verses. Only a strong king is able to bring us peace. And here's the connection to the gospel, right? Do you see this connection? The Prince of Peace, who is the Lord God Almighty, who is the King of Glory, that he would enter into this world and lay down his life for you and me, not calling upon his strength, not relying on his strength, but rather being displayed in weakness as a servant, as a servant of the Most High before all the watching world. The king of the Jews, as the placard said above his head, as he absorbed the wrath of God for you and me, and his blood was shed and his body was broken so that we might be blessed with peace. But on the third day, his strength and power was declared for all the watching world as he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and my friends, one day he will come back. He will come back as a mighty king, and he will vanquish all his and our foes, and we will be with him forever. Praise be to God. May the Lord bless you this day. Amen.